You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Let's bow our heads and through prayer tell the Lord how grateful we are and how thankful we are for the cross. God, everything we've just been singing about, we believe in our heart of hearts that these are the truths, the great truths of our God. Father, I pray today that you'd help us not just sing songs, but help us get these realities in the depths of our souls. God, for those here that don't believe, would you give them faith, Lord, to see and behold the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ and to believe, Lord, and have a relationship with your Son. For those here, God, that are, are singing these things, but our hearts are far, oh God, would you renew within us the sweetness, the sweetness of the greatest name on earth, Jesus Christ. That we, Lord, we might not just give you lip service, we might, we might love you with all of our beings. For those here today that, God, are loving you and, and striving to serve you with all their hearts, God, I pray that you just fuel the flame of the life of Christ in us. Take us to deeper places with you, Lord. Take us to greater heights in our lives of abandon towards you. And God, for all of us, as we open up your word today, oh God, our heart's desire is not to hear a preacher. God, our heart's desire is to hear the, 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 the voice of the living God through the word of God by the spirit of God. So in this moment, Lord, I pray you'd open every heart to hear the truths you want us to hear. And apply these things to our lives as you see fit, Lord. We just want we just want to meet with you today. That's why we came. Friends are good, family is fantastic, but you're it, God. We came to worship and to hear from you. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat and turn through your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty. If you don't have a Bible, one of the ushers will be happy to get you a copy of God's Word that you might follow along. If you don't have one at home, please take it home. Please take it home and don't just sit on your shelf. Read it and, and ask God to show you who He is through His Word. And He will. He will reveal Himself to you. Acts chapter 20. As I study this passage uh, this week, I couldn't help but be thinking, be thinking of an old hymn I used to sing when I was a kid that I haven't sung in a long time, but the Lord kept bringing it back to my mind, and it's called this, Only One Life to Offer. Remember that song? Here's how it goes, verse 1, Only one life to offer, Jesus my Lord and King. Only one tongue to praise thee, and of thy mercy sing. Only one heart's devotion, Savior, O oh, may it be consecrated alone to thy matchless glory, yielded fully to thee. Verse 2, only this hour is mine, Lord, may it be used for thee. May every passing moment count for eternity. Souls all about are dying, dying in sin and shame. Help me bring the message of Calvary's redemption in thy glorious name. Verse 3, only one life to offer, take it, dear Lord, I pray. Nothing from thee withholding, thy will, will I now obey. Thou hast freely given, thy will I now obey. Thou who hast freely given thine all in all for me, claim this life for thine own to be used, my Savior, every moment for thee. 
so rich, isn't it? It speaks really completely of what the opposite message, see, it's the opposite of what the message of the world tells us today. The world tells us to find yourself, create your own destiny, and be all that you can be. And that's where you're going to find life and dream big and live in the moment for yourself. Whereas God says the exact opposite of that in His Word. If you really want to have the fullness of life and, and really want to live out what you're created for, then, then don't do what the world says. Do this. Life is really about this. Knowing Jesus, finding your identity in Him and grabbing a hold of His divine purposes for your, for your life and being all that He desires you to be. Actually, the Bible tells us it's not about finding our life at all. In this world, Matthew 10 verse 39 says, but losing your life for my sake, if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. What a crazy reality if I see believers so often is trying to find life and trying to find the life that they, they're, they're supposed to have and their destinies and all these things and, and just can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. And you're like, hello, the Bible clearly tells you where to find it. Lose all that and grab a hold of Jesus and his plans and you'll find it all. Such a simple but such a hard concept, but yet we see this clearly in Acts chapter 20. I simply named the sermon title the same thing as that hymn was because it's so powerful. Um, only one life to offer. And we see that being played out in the life of Paul in the chapter, Acts chapter 20. We see, we see Paul living out this reality that really my life is not my own to do with whatever I want. Once I'm a believer, it's not just that I have passed for heaven now. My life now, as Galatians 2.20 says, I don't live for myself. I don't live for the flesh. I live for Jesus Christ, who so willingly gave me everything. We see that being played out in the life of Paul, and so what we're going to focus on this morning is uh, verses 17 to the end of the chapter in Acts chapter 20, but let me quickly give you a summary of the first 16 verses just to get there. There's so much. I tell you all this time, I could, I could preach for like four hours on some of these texts, but I'm not going to. So bear with my quick summary here. So verses 20, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. Remember where we ended off a couple weeks ago? Remember in Ephesus, Paul, and, and, and they had the big bonfire of all their, their, uh, I, all their um, sorcery and all of the occult stuff. They realized that, man, we're, we're supposed to be devoted to Jesus. We have all these things in our house. They had the big bonfire, and Paul's, get this, Paul wasn't preaching against the culture. He was preaching Christ. And as he's preaching Christ, people are realizing all these things, and they're, they're, they're getting rid of all their idols, and Demetrius the silversmith gets his mob going. Remember all that? Paul again is delivered. You think he'd be like, okay, now I'm taking a break, but not, that's not what happens. He, 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 verses one to six is Paul going from city to city to city, just as vigilant on mission as he ever was, realizing, hey, this life isn't mine to do whatever I want. Well, this has been hard, but you know what? I'm not, nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to keep going for Jesus. And so, so what's he doing in, in the first six verses? It says here twice in the first two verses, gives us an encouragement. Every time you see something twice, really close together, same word, uh, circle them and pay attention because this is the, what God's trying to teach us. And so Paul is encouraging the believers in verse 1. In verse 2, he's going to very re- various regions, giving them much encouragement. And so he, he's not just preaching the gospel, he's encouraging believers. They're like, oh, he's so nice. He's patting them back, telling them how, how great they are and how wonderful they are and how they're God's gift to the church. That must be what he's doing, right? Actually, if you understand that word encouragement in this context is more probably interpreted exhortation. He's exhorting them, and, and I think probably what he's exhorting, that's how he's exhorting them with, but probably the same thing that's burning in his heart. He's exhorting them, and I think, I think the encouragement he's giving them is sort of like we as parents give our kids as we leave them in a babysitter's care. Hey guys, we love you. Mind your manners. 
Be good. Don't waste your evening away. And we're coming home soon. Don't forget that too, right? It's an encouragement, right? It's an exhortation and encouragement. I think that's what he's doing with the believers. He's like, he's like, he's like, hey guys, like it's hard. I get it. And you're going to be persecuted and, and the Jews are going to come after you too. And it's not going to be easy, but, but uh, love you. <laughs> Follow the word. Live for Jesus. Don't, don't get in this mentality. You're living for yourself. Now live for Jesus. Give him your all. And guess what? He's coming back soon and you're not going to be disappointed if you give everything to Jesus. And so he's encouraging them. He's exhorting them. And man, do we ever need that ex- exhortation a lot in our world, don't we, in our days? And so he's exhorting the believers just to keep going and to keep going this mindset that your life is not your own. And then he gets to uh, Miletus. He's, remember, he's got a burning passion that God gave him for Jerusalem. He's just trying to get there. And so he doesn't even want to stop at, at, at Ephesus anymore. He just wants to get to Jerusalem and, and collect some offerings along the way and get them to the poor in Jerusalem and be there. And so on the first day of the week, verse 7, he stops at Miletus and... Uh, Starts, starts preaching there. Sorry, Troas. Miletus is coming Troas, and he's preaching in Troas. And, and only one week there, so he's got a lot to pack in. So on the first day of the week, notice this, it's not the traditional Sabbath day, as they've always been in the Jewish culture. It's the first day of the week. It's Sunday, and he's gathering all the believers. What's he doing? He's preaching, and he's going to pack as much into these, this week of preaching as he can. And so he's given her. Paul, in the next few verses, he's his given her. He's preaching, and he preaches. He's so passionate about what he's saying. He's preaching. He preaches right till midnight. There's this, that would never go in our society, like, long-winded pastor, I'm out. You think I preach long? Here we go. Preach till midnight. Bring your lunch and your supper next week. We're following Paul's example. I'd be okay with that, would you? (laughs) No amens on that one, is there? (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Eutychus, he's like this teenage kid, and he's uh, probably getting tired and a little bit boring. I think Paul was long-winded and a little boring. So he's, he's, he's up in the windowsill trying to get some air and some fresh. He falls right backwards out the window. Dead. Paul's like cool under, cool under pressure. He's just like, stop stressing everybody. It's going to be okay. And they're like, but he's dead. Paul goes down there, and he like raises this guy from the dead with God's power. And, and it says in the text that the people were... Not a little comforted. Like, not a little comforted. Are you kidding me? They're, they're massively comforted. And really what was happening is Paul's like, hey, I'm preaching to you about a God who raises dead souls to life. And this guy falls backwards out the window. And God's like, you want a, Paul's like, you want a case in point? He raises your dead soul like I'm going to raise this dead kid. Kind of a powerful illustration of the message he's preaching. And so... Uh, all these miracles are happening, and, and Paul's, God's giving Paul these illustrations right in the moment. And you can take out of that passage what you want to take out of it. I take this out of it, that God is awesome. And that long sermon sometimes can be fatal. But God even redeems that through Jesus Christ. Right? So let's keep our eyes on Jesus and we're all set. And so there's a little, little miracle in there that, that you can study more on your own. But, but then Paul uh, keeps going. He, he stays with this group until, until the, the day. All, all night long they're talking. They're talking. He's preaching. He's trying to explain to them the, the truth of Jesus. And, and like, let, let's, let's move on past this miracle. Let's see the miracle of lives changed. And so he stays till the, till, till the, the light comes up the next morning. And then he, he takes off again. He's, he's off. He's off. He's like the, the littlest hobo. He's off, man. He's, he's going everywhere to, to the message of Jesus. Then he comes to Miletus, 
Again, not wanting to stop in Jerusalem, so he, there he wanted to meet with the Ephesian elders. He spent three years with the Ephesian elders, and he had the place in his heart for them. And he, So he calls them, and he says, why do, I can't come to you, why don't you come to me? And he gives this speech to the Ephesian elders, it's really his farewell speech. Let me read it for you, and I'm just going to unpack it for you, five points. And it really shows the heart and the life and the ministry of Paul. And I believe we can learn a lot from his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. As Paul says in, in Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, hey, imitate me as I follow Jesus. Model your lives after me. And we're like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Here's Paul's life summarized for the Ephesian elders. And we're like, man, we can learn from this. Let me read it for you. He gathers these guys together and he says this, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot, set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in, a, in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. What a man. Verse 24, you can circle this one. It's sort of like where I got the theme of this. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Man, if we could all grab a hold of that one. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. These are the elders, remember, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which you ordained with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, not after Jesus, but after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them and there was so much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, but they accompanied him uh, to the ship. A speech, eh? It's packed. I think of this only one life to offer. I think of, 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 of it's not my life to live, it's Jesus. And how does that play out? It plays out in five ways here, I think, in this text that I want to point out for you. Five telltale signs of whether we are truly fully yielded to Jesus or not. And so I'm asking you, do your own heart evaluation to go throughout these. Don't be like, hey, that's good for Paul. What a good guy. Check your own heart. Is this me? Is this how I'm living my life? Could, this, could I give this speech at, the, uh, at this point in my life and say, hey, I've so seen Jesus that I've given my all for him. Here's the first telltale sign of a life fully yielded to Jesus. Number one is I humbly serve through adversity. Verses 17 to 19, I humbly serve through adversity. 
You yourselves know how I lived among you from the whole time, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Here's, here's how Paul lived his life. He lived his life as a, as a servant of God. Paul uses this word serve uh, 17 times, not Paul, but 17 times in the epistles. You know what it refers to, this word serving? We think of serving as showing up if I feel like it on a Sunday to help out and harvest kids. Here's what the word serving really means in the scriptures. It's an attitude of obedience to the Lord that is slave-like. We abolish slavery, pastor. Long time ago, but yet this, this hard attitude that, that, man, how could I ever repay Jesus for all that he's done for me? I know how I can. I can love him. I can, I can serve him with my life. And, and it's not just something I'd choose to be in and out of. It's, it's, a, it's a heart attitude that now I commit to and I sacrifice for. I'm all in for Jesus. This is what, this is what serving really is. Amazing how Paul thought of himself, isn't it? He uses the word uh, serve here. He's serving the Lord. That's how Paul thought of himself. You know, he didn't think of himself as the boss. He thought of himself as the servant. Paul wasn't the one who's like, I'm the apostle here. I'm coming and and I gather around. I got the shots. He's a guy who's showing up every day for duty saying, hey, God, what's on your clipboard for me to do? I will gladly do it. Even if it's the dirty jobs and the uncomfortable jobs, I'm just going to serve the Lord. Wasn't the type of guy who was... Asking questions and questioning everything God said to him. He wasn't throwing out party suggestions for the, for the you know, when I hit my five years of service, maybe you could do this for me. He wasn't the guy showing up expecting extra perks just because he's showing up like the entitled do. He was the guy that simply had this heart. Man, I love Jesus who has, who has ultimately served me on the cross. And so how can I repay? repay? I'm just going to love him and serve him with my whole life. So different than the way we think about serving, isn't it? Maybe I'll serve. What kind of job you got for me? Maybe I'll serve, Lord. Well, the church needs help. It doesn't really fit into what I feel like I'm going to be effective in. or It doesn't really fit into my agenda. Paul's like, no, here's what service is. Service is like, whatever God wants, whatever God needs, I'm in. You know what it takes for that kind of service? Something that we could do a whole lot of uh, in this culture today, which speaks about pride. And it's like this, with all humility. Look at that word. Circle that word, humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. What's the definition of humility? I've given you a, a number of them over the, uh, the course of the five and a half years I've been preaching here. Here's, here's a definition you can write down for humility. It's simply this, knowing who's in charge. Knowing who's in charge. A humble person doesn't look for the perfect set of circumstances or the right role, but serves their Savior in spite of whatever circumstance and role they have. A, a humble person is not like a, in this mentality, of like, I'm in it to win it here on earth. They're in this, I'm in it to win it for eternity. A humble person has the heart of Jesus who was called, Psalm 22 and Psalm 53, you know, Jesus was called the suffering servant. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before Jesus, what did he do? He endured the cross, scorning its shame. So here's Paul, he's humbly serving with tears. Some people think ministry is easy and to serve the Lord is easy and it's, it's supposed to be easy peasy. As soon as it gets hard, I'm going to find somewhere else to serve. I'm going to get out. But yet, but yet he's serving the Lord with tears. Serving the Lord is hard work and it causes tears to flow sometimes. If you really love the Lord and love people and you, you see God being dishonored, tears are going to flow. If you see believers stumbling, tears should be falling off your face. If you see unbelievers running away and false teachers rising up and hardships coming, man, 
But you know what Paul does? He doesn't back away from the adversity. What's he doing? He's faithfully serving with all humility, with tears, even through the trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. This is why it's a telltale sign of a life fully yielded to Jesus. Because here's the way we're programmed to think. I'm going to serve Jesus until it gets hard. Then it's somebody else's job. You know what that's really telling yourself? That you're really not living for Jesus. Who are you living for? Self. And so our service is not really about serving the Lord. It's about serving ourselves. And how easy it is to fall into that mindset in our culture that's bombarding us with, with all the messages of you're the best and you're the greatest. There's only one person to worry about, and that is you. And Paul's telling us, here's the telltale sign of whether you're fully yielded to Jesus or not, if you're willing to humbly serve through adversity. But here's a good message for our church today. Not just, not just in serving in the church, but in, in serving uh, God across the board. How many even believers have I heard? Have I heard that, man, man... I know that God wanted me to marry this person, but it got hard, and so I bailed. Not willing to serve the Lord through adversity, or, or the church was serving all my needs, and now it's not, so I'm out. What happened to loving and serving through adversity? The job that God provided was such a blessing for the first two years, now it's getting a little difficult. Even the faith. I love the Lord and serve the Lord as long as it goes well. As soon as it doesn't, I'm making a beeline for the back door again. You know how you really know if you're in it for the Lord and not for yourself when the hardships come? When the hardships come, are you willing to stick it in? Or are you going to be like the kid on the sports field who's like, it's not going my way, I didn't get the position I want, I'm packing my bags, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. If you're all in for Jesus, it's like, you know what, it's hard. We might seem like we're losing this game. I'm not getting the position I played, but guess what? God put me in the game when he died on the cross. God gave me the role. I don't serve this role. The coach put me in this role. And our team's losing, but, but, but I'm not leaving until God releases me from this contract. Is he going to release you from that contract? Not at all. It's a good reminder for us for a culture, I'm not saying our church, but a culture who doesn't think like this at all. My focus is not success or wider influence or degrees of press time. It's pleasing God no matter what is coming. At 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, if we're all in for Jesus, this is going to be our creed. We're going to be steadfast and movable, always bounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it is in the Lord. Your knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Five telltale signs of a life fully yielded to Jesus. Number one, I humbly serve through adversity. Heart diagnostics. Let the Lord speak to you through these. We're going to have to go quick, fast, and furious. There's five of them. Number two. Number two, I don't shrink back from gospel opportunities. If your life is fully yielded to Jesus, you won't shrink back from gospel opportunities. Here's what Paul says next. I don't think he's trying to build himself up. I think he's just given the reality of like, hey, this is what God has done in me. This is what God wants to do in you. This is how you ought to live your life. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of all that happened in Paul's life, 
He didn't once shrink back from the ministry that God called him to. Let's be honest. God were to call to us to some of those ministries here, we'd be doing like, hey, that's a good idea, Lord. Let me check my agenda. Uh, I'm not free. Paul's like, I didn't shrink back from anything God gave me. There's a, there's a heart of courage here. There's a heart of, of determination. There's, like, there's a, a sense of like, hey, again, I don't call the shots. God's giving me this ministry. Who am I to question? I'm just going to faithfully do it. And so every opportunity he had, he didn't shrink back. The word shrink back, what do you think of when you think shrink back? I think of, I think of the kid in class, middle of the class, average kid that knows all the answers, but too scared to put their hands up and give it. Paul's like, that wasn't me. I was the kid that was like, I didn't have the answer to life's problems. Ooh, 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 Jesus. Anyone want to know where to find the, the solution to the world's problems? Oh, I do. It's the word of God. I'm not going to be timid. I'm not going to shrink back. From preaching the word of God, from declaring to you anything that was profitable. He's going to teach everything. If it's going to hurt ears, if it's going to cuddle ears, he's just going to teach it. If it's going to be profitable for them, even if it's going to hurt a little bit, he's going to teach it. From house to house. If this message from the Word of God is going to influence you and impact you, I'm going to tell you, even if I'm scared to tell you, I'm going to tell you anyways, trusting God with it. Look at verse 27. It says the same thing. I'm going to lump these two verses together. It says it again, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Another message we need to hear today. We, we're, we're so quick at shrinking back. And, and well, if it's, we can't be shrinking from the whole counsel of God's word. Paul says he's doing this in public and in private, teaching in public. So he's a public guy and he's also house to house private guy. Some of us are like, man, I'm a public guy, but not a private guy. I'm a private guy, not a public guy. And yet God calls us to both. Preach the word. Don't shrink back. Be bold for Jesus. Telltale sign of whether your heart is fully yielded to Jesus is if you're willing to not shrink back in whatever circumstance you find yourself in of proclaiming Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.28, write this verse down. Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. The fullness of God's word. I'm going to teach it. I'm going to proclaim it. What is the fullness of God's word? He says it here, verse 21. We get the God loves you part, but... I think that goes without saying. That's not why it's not here. But, but repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to teach the full counsel of God's word, which includes, here's what the gospel always includes, repentance. What's repentance? A change of mind and a change of purpose. It's, it's choosing by the power of the Holy Spirit to be done with selfish, sinful living, to completely turn to live a selfless, righteous life in Christ. It's not a popular message. Paul's like, I'm not shrinking back from that one. That's the life changer right there. It's not a message of good works. It's a message of faith. Repentance and faith. Time to put your hope in Jesus, not the things of this world. Time to put your hope in Jesus. Here's what the full counsel of God's word says about faith. It's not just about, hey, I believe that Jesus is real. That's not faith. Here's what faith really is according to the word, to the word of God. It's three Latin words. Noticia or knowledge, it involves the knowledge or the intellect. It's a census, uh, the emotions. And it's fiducia, the, the will, to trust with the will. 
Honestly, if our life is fully yielded to Jesus Christ, it's not a burden to step up and proclaim Christ. It's not a burden to give the full message of the gospel, knowing that it's only when the full message of the gospel is, is given and received that people are actually changed forever and drawn into God's presence. Let me ask you this. Are you a shrink-back person or a stand-tall person for Jesus? If your life is your own, you're going to be a shrink-back person every single time because you want to guard your life and protect your life and, and make sure that you're cared for and comfortable. But if you're a yielded-to-Jesus person, you're going to stand tall to promote Christ no matter what the cost. Leaving no one out and nothing out. We prefer if this said, like, for some of us, just, just to proclaim Christ out there, right? And, and away from your own little private circles. Because that's sometimes easier, isn't it? Going on the street. Never see those people again. Where does it get hard when you're talking about family members and friends and close loved ones and neighbors? You know what Paul says in this? He's like, hey, when I stand before God, no one's blood's going to be on my head. No one's blood's going to be on my head. I can at least say, I told them, Lord. Private, public, didn't matter. In the house, out of the house. When I had an opportunity, I told them. Not just part of the gospel, the whole thing. Not just the parts that were comfortable and easy. Not just the parts that I thought they might appreciate. I told them the whole thing, believing, believing that, man, it's God's spirit that's going to save them, not me. And so my job is to tell them the whole gospel. And let God's spirit take over. How are you doing with shrinking small or standing tall? It's interesting, in our culture, we shrink back and call out those who step up, don't we? The only thing that's wrong in our culture is stepping up. Where, where, where Jesus says we ought to step up and call out those who shrink back. I'm not talking bold, arrogantly. I'm talking about courageously, lovingly, in truth. It's been throughout this whole series, this whole book of Acts. And it's time that we put it into practice. It's time to put this into practice. Realizing this, number three, that the most important thing is Jesus' call on my own life. Number three is this, I value Jesus' call more than my own life. I value Jesus' call more than my own life. What an example Paul is for us. I'm praying that I will be like a Paul. I'm praying that you will be like a Paul. Men, that you'll be like Pauls. Women, that you'll be like Paulettes. Unashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Verse 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, Pulled by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit. I'm sure there's part of Paul that didn't want to go to Jerusalem. You know why? Because he knows what's going to happen there. He knows what's going to happen there. What's going to happen there? The Holy Spirit is testifying to him that in every city he goes to, there's going to be imprisonment and afflictions waiting for him. This idea of being constrained and figuratively is sort of like being like, like, not just pulled, but... It's kind of like the same word that's used in, in different places for the, the, the bonds of marriage. 
And, and Paul's almost saying, like, hey, hey, I'm married to Christ, and where Christ goes, I go. And I, when I humbled myself and said, God, take over my life, I gave him the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat where this car is going. I'm there. Even if it means that in every single stop, it's going to hurt. When he got to Jerusalem, they weren't ready for a, a dance and a party. They were ready for handcuffs and a whole lot of hurt. But there's something welling within Paul that he's like, it doesn't matter what matters to me more than my own life. I value more than my own life. I value, I value Jesus Christ and fulfilling his mission for my life. Only that somehow people might see the gospel of grace alive in me. Again, opposite of what our culture teaches us, we're, teach that, uh, we're taught that our life is precious and we hold on to it, we protect it, and all we have is us to protect ourselves. So, so, so what's, what's the most precious thing to you? It's not anyone else, it's not the Lord, it's you. This isn't teaching us that our life is not precious to the Lord. Our life is so precious to the Lord that he died on the cross for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit and we have value, infinite value with the Lord. But it's teaching us That to be fully yielded to Christ, we have to get to this point in our lives where we realize that this life is not what it's all about. What's more precious to me than my own, my my own bucket lists and my own bank accounts and building my own reputation. What's more precious to me than all those things is, is Jesus Christ. And being faithful to what he's called me to do here. I think somehow in our North American culture, we've gotten this idea that, that to live the full life, we've got to hold on tight to our lives. We've got to hold on tight. We've got to squeeze for all it's worth. And what God says is actually the exact opposite. You let go. You let go and you'll find the life of Christ and the power of Christ and the presence of Christ in ways that you've never experienced before as you let go. You know who I think of when I read this, this whole idea that my life is not uh, precious to me? I think of Omar Soto. Remember when Omar was here in January? Remember Omar? Little Mexican guy that we're planning a church with. You guys look at me, you don't know him. Remember him? And he stood right here, and you, you know, he gave us a two-minute snapshot of his testimony. You know what stuck out the most about this testimony to me? His testimony, I'll never forget the words. I said this to him in Mexico when we were there. I'm like, you know what? You said a sentence that I'll never forget. He's like, I did? Yes, you did. You know what he said? And his little broken Mexican... Ten years ago, we came from Mexico to Canada to find the better life. I found eternal life. And now God's sending me back to Mexico to proclaim the gospel. You know what he was saying? And that same thing Paul's saying is like, you know what? My life is so valuable and precious, but I'm going to lose it for the sake of Christ. Talking to him at the beginning of May when we were there, I'm like, so how's it going? He's like, man, it's been hard. Canada's way easier. So much more comfort, and, and but yet this is where I'm supposed to be for the glory of God. So I'm going to do it and be faithful to the end. Want to know what if your life is about fully yielded to Jesus or fully yielded to yourself? You want to know if your life is fully yielded to Jesus or fully yielded to yourself? Put yourself in a place. Allow God to speak to you to a place where he's going to ask you to give up some of the most important things to you. And the question is, will I do it? Will I do it? 
Or am I going to follow Christ as long as and only if I'm going to put my parameters on him? I think there's a lot of people in this room that are missing on the life of Christ because God has, has, has been asking you to do things. He's been showing you the life that he wants you to live. And, and plain, and, plain and honest, we're just refusing to do it. Instead of, instead of Isaiah 6, 9, Jesus, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Uh, our prayer is, is, is no to God, don't send me, bless me. Our prayer should be, Lord, lead me and use me. Uh, Paul is, is simply saying, everything's open. My whole life is yours, Lord. Even to the point where he's willing to put his relationships on the line for God. Look at how he's saying here. He's, he's, he's and now behold, I know, um, where am I at here? I know that after my departure, no, where, I've lost it anyways, it doesn't matter. I know what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to see you guys again. Verse 25. I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That was not a happy moment for Paul. He was even willing to, to put his relationships on the line for Jesus. Kids, students, Part of holding your life loosely before the Lord is being willing to go wherever God wants you to go in spite of your family. If God's calling you to go somewhere else, you're going to go. Parents, our job in raising our kids is to not raise them up so that we can keep them to ourselves. Our job is to raise them up and let them go. Ruth, Ruth keeps telling wherever Zach goes to school, we're moving with them. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Our lives aren't ours to hold on to. Our kids aren't ours to hold on to. None of us of what we have is ours to hold on to. They're to be given to the Lord. And in all ways, somehow people might see God's life in us, even through the hardships, even through the illnesses and the poverty and the success and the plenty. What God wants our hearts to be is I value God more than my own life. Here's number four. These ones are going to be a little quicker. I'm a guardian of God's truth. I'm a guardian of God's truth. Verse 28, pay close, careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he's obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, get this, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here's the reality of being fully yielded to God. I am a guardian of God's truth. This is to the elders, and we, it's for our elders, but it's also for all of us to grab a hold of so we can pray for our elders, but also so we can live this out in some measure in our own hearts. What, what does God call us to? Is we're fully yielded to Him to be guardians of the truth. Look, see what it says here? Care for your own heart first. Be vigilant in your own heart and then care for those around you that we walk in the truth. Here's the reality. We can, we can just like with a compass, you get one degree off, you can find yourself in a whole different destination than what you're heading for. In our day and age, we treat truth so flippantly. And what does it mean to be a Christian? Just love Jesus. Just got to say you love Jesus, raise your hands in worship, and, and do a couple good things, and you got to be a Christian. 
Whereas Paul's reminding the Ephesian elders here that, hey, this is a big deal that we, 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 don't just, we don't just worship Jesus, which is part of it, but we stand for truth and we stick to the truth. We know the truth. We love the truth. We live for the truth no matter what the cost. Where does that start? It starts in your own heart, elders. It starts in your own heart. So easy it is to call it other people on truth, isn't it? And forget about living it in our own hearts. Daily waking up and saying, what's my, what's my number one goal today? To love God. How do we love God? Through the truth of His Word. Making sure first and foremost, not that just we know the truth, that we know the truth. And the truth is growing in us, fruit of the Spirit. Church leaders aren't to be the ones who are pounding the truth, but championing the truth. And God's people aren't to be pounding the truth, but championing the truth. First and foremost, in my own heart. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to know the fruit of the Spirit in your heart. Galatians 5. No point telling someone else the truth if it's not growing in here. That makes you a what? Hypocrite. Your message is nothing. People don't even listen. So if we're going to be fully yielded to Jesus, here's how our day starts. In the Word of God. Living, knowing the Word of God and living the Word of God and loving the Word of God so that when the counterfeit things come into our lives, evaluating our, our minds and evaluating our hearts, am I, am I actually living this out? Then when the, the, the wolves come, it says the word wolves in here, right? Because this is, this is true of the church then, this is true of the church today. We are then all on our guard against false doctrine that could come in and destroy the work of God in the church. So Paul's reminding the elders here, he's like, hey, hey, the truth starts in you, but also care for those around you enough to, like, to, to, to protect them in all truth. Because there's going to be wolves, what are wolves? If sheep are on God's side, what are wolves? Of the enemy. They're going to come into the church. They're not going to look like wolves. They're going to dress up like sheep, it says in Matthew 7, and they're going to be spouting a big smile and holding a Bible probably and saying a lot of Christian things, but, but ultimately their goal is this. Their goal is to not point you towards Jesus. Their goal is to twist the truth and manipulate the truth and take you away from the truth and actually draw you after themselves and their own ideas, their own ideologies, and not have you follow Jesus in a healthy way in the church. So we as elders know this very clearly. Seen them come and... Go over the last five and a half years. And, and what's our role? We take this very seriously. What's our role? To protect the truth and the doctrine of the church. It matters what we believe. We take it very seriously. You know who else should be taking it very seriously? You guys. You should be taking it seriously. The, the truth that comes into our church and, and it comes to our ears. We're like, that sounds funny. Guess what we do? We follow up with conversations and emails and, and all kinds of things. You know what you should be doing as... as, as People are coming in, you're like, that doesn't sound right. I'm not saying to label everyone doesn't sound right, a wolf right away. That's not it. But that doesn't sound right. Can we get to the scriptures and really unpack this in a healthy way? In your small groups, you're hearing these, maybe something? Or in your conversations as you serve, like, you should be, hey, can we look at the scriptures? That doesn't sound right. I don't want us to get off onto something else. Because that can be detrimental to your soul and our whole church. Second Peter tells us that this is a, a big deal in the church of standing for truth, that wolves are going to come. And how do you know what a wolf is? Second Peter 2 tells us what a wolf is. It's not just an immature Christian who doesn't fully understand yet. There's lots of those. We can't label those people as wolves. Here's what a wolf is. 
You can read 2 Peter 2, 10 to 17. It's going to give you some snapshots. It's, it's those who indulge in the lust of the flesh. It's those who despise authority and blaspheme and follow their natural impulses, not being led by the Spirit. Clearly, they're being led by the flesh as evidenced by the way they're, they're acting. They're, they're, they're speaking irreverently or blasphemously about stuff they know nothing about. And they're deceptive and sinful and greedy. And they're messing with God's Word and God's people, two things that are close to the heart of God. And so what does God call us to be as elders? Just, you know, we're just trying to follow Scripture. He calls us to admonish them. Ever heard of someone cuddling a wolf before? Have you? Me neither. Especially a shepherd doesn't cuddle wolves. What do shepherds do with wolves? Great, you said it, not me. Thank you, Brian. Right? And so this is what we're called to do with tears, not with a joyful, like, woohoo, let's get out. It's like, hey, you're missing the point. We're weeping for your soul, but we can't tolerate this in God's church. You ought to be on the same mindset, too. We want to protect the purity of the doctrine of the church together, don't we? But we're so scared to call people out, even if we know it's wrong. We're so scared to open up our Bibles and wrestle through some hard things. We can't be scared. We're fully yielded to Jesus. This is going to be primary in our hearts. Protect our own hearts and then protect each other. Why? Because we love each other. And we love what God's doing in our church. Believe me when I say wolves are just as prevalent today as they were back when. You need to be in the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. You need to know what you believe. You need to know when, when things are coming across your ears that are not right. You need to be loving and living the Word of God. If you're one of those Christians that puts your Bible up on the shelf all week and pulls it out for Sunday morning because we open our Bibles here and brings it here and you open it up and you quote some scriptures once in a while and pretend you got it all figured out, let me encourage you with this. You need to get your Bible out every single day and start reading and start studying so that you can be, as Ezekiel says, a watchman for the people of God. What's a watchman's task? Ezekiel 33, 1-6 is to warn of doctrine that is going awry. To stand on the stand on the house of the stand on the, the gate of the city and when the dangers come, like blow that horn for all you're worth. Obviously in truth and love and grace. But blow it for all it's worth. Because there's nothing more detrimental to a believer and to a church than false doctrine and wolves among the sheep. It takes courage. But it's a courage that comes from the Lord. Last one quickly. I'm fully yielded to God. I pursue contentment over covetousness. I'm willing to stand for the truth. No matter what it's going to cost me, and I pursue contentment over covetousness. Look what Paul says here. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And so, so his hands, he worked hard. And, and Paul's like, hey, in all of this, you want to know truly that I was fully yielded to Jesus? I wasn't wrapped up in the things of this world. You, you met my needs, great, but I was a tent maker. I worked hard. I labored for myself and, and I gave to those around me. And you want to know a good telltale sign of we're fully yielded to Christ or not? Is if we, you can tell by how we handle the things that God has given us in our lives as far as material possessions. Paul's like, those things were great, but they didn't mean anything to me. He says it's more blessed to give than receive. I learned that and I lived that. And, and you know how I can usually tell whether someone's fully yielded to Jesus or not? I think what Paul's telling us is if, is if you are not building a fence around your things, but you're, you're putting a, a welcome sign out to come and, ha- and, and share all that you have with those around you. 
hurtfully yielded to Christ does not get caught up in all the materialism of this world. And that's a battle, brothers and sisters. That is a battle. And we can spiritualize it and we can, and we can say all the right things around it to dress it up to make it look pretty. But bottom line is this. When we're pursuing the things of this world and the material possessions of this world as our primary goal... It's not wrong to have these as our primary goal. We're missing out on the fullness of a life that's fully yielded to Christ. We're missing out on the fullness of the blessing of of not just hoarding, but giving. A life fully yielded to Jesus Christ is so much more concerned about what they're giving than what they're getting. A life fully yielded to Jesus Christ can easily distinguish between wants and needs because it's they're so eager to invest in others in God's kingdom instead of their own high interest savings or RRSPs. Matthew six twenty four: you cannot serve both God and money. It's absolutely impossible. It's a little bit impossible. Hebrews 13, 5, let your life be free from the love of money. Money's not evil. The love of money is where we get awry. Being content with what you have, knowing that God will never leave you or forsake you. Being content with what you have. What do you have that's the most cherished possession you have over any material possession, any dollar bill? It's God himself, his presence that will never leave you or forsake you. Just a quick reminder at the end of this chapter that if your life is not your own, guess what? Neither is your bank account. Neither is your house or your vehicles or whatever else that God has blessed you with. None of it's ours. It all belongs to God. Paul's like, you want, you want life? The world's got you looking for it in a lot of places. You want life? It actually comes as you give up your life for the glory of God. You've only got one life to offer. What are you going to do with it? Paul, we're standing here today. He's like, just just follow my example. It wasn't easy. It was hard. It might not be the glamorous life. People might look at him and be like, what a waste of life. But I tell you this, Paul, on the other side, I tell you this is what he's singing today. He's singing the praises of his God and nothing he gave up here on earth was, was wasted for what he's got in eternity. If you want to look at a full life... Uh, uh, it was Paul's life. He experienced God in so many ways. He saw the blessings of God. He saw the provisions of God. He saw God show up in his life in, in massive ways. Why? Because he was committed to these five things of not living for himself, but living for Jesus Christ. After he gave them this spiel, hugs all around, weeping, crying. They knew the next time they'd see him was going to be in heaven. And yet they were even willing to let Paul go and say, God, Paul, fulfill your mission for Jesus. Fulfill it. It's a good heart check for us this morning, isn't it? Only one life. What are you doing with it? Only one life. What are you doing with your life? Take an honest inventory. These five things. These five things are just giving you. These five things. Where are you like hitting it for the Lord and where are you missing it for the Lord? Be honest with yourself. Don't know. I'm five out of five. Really? Good for you. For, th- for this week. Be honest with yourself. Where are you really at? Some of you might be a zero out of five. There's some repenting to do today. This isn't like a, let's get hammered. This is a, let's get our lives back on line. Let's get our lives back under the, the, the power and the grace of God. Let's repent of this sin of living for ourselves. Let's live for Jesus. Some of you might be a two out of five or a three out of five. You kind of evaluate your own heart. Uh, praise the Lord for the two or three, but let's, let's go for five out of five. Who wants to be satisfied with status quo? Not this kid. You. 
Who wants to be satisfied with getting some of God's blessings in this life and some of God's favor and some of God's presence? We want it all. Let's go all. Let's go bust for the Lord. If you're already a five out of five, there's probably some in here that are five out of fives. We have some great people in our church, no doubt. Loving the Lord and striving for the Lord. If you're five out of five today, keep going. I say, no, it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. But don't forget what God wants most from your life, your heart. And your whole being for the glory of God. That's aimed to be a five-star church when it comes to only one life to offer. Take it, dear Lord, I pray. Only one life to offer. Take it, dear Lord, I pray. Let's pray that very reality into our, into our souls. Father, what an encouraging sermon. What an exhorting sermon for our souls. God, as we now close our Bibles, I pray that this message would not be closed off in our minds and our hearts. God, do some deep work in us as we look at the life of Paul, just a regular guy who is saved by grace, just like we are, the chief of sinners, just like we are. Look how you used his life, who is yielded to you. God, may each of us here be fully yielded to you in, in, in every way possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where we're not yielded today, God, we repent. I repent, Lord. I want to be done with low living and selfish desires, God. We want to be men and women who are completely about Jesus Christ. Would you forgive us of our sin, Lord, for wanting to hold on to our life more than lose it for Jesus? Would you inspire us, God, to be men and women who are fully yielded to whatever you want, whatever ministry you have for us, whatever, whatever calling you've placed in our lives, would we just be fully yielded to, to just following you wholeheartedly? until the day that we die. God, would you make us a church that's alive with the courage and the faith and the boldness and the fire of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for those that are here that have no idea what I'm talking about because they've never truly encountered Jesus Christ. God, I I pray that you'd help them see the wonder of a God who saved them. And all these things we're talking about, it's not because we have to now earn your favor. It's because we love you, Lord. And because we just want to honor you with our lives. And God, I pray you'd bring them to that same place. They'd recognize that they need a Savior. And they'd want, they'd want to also honor you with their lives in every single way. Thank you for your word, Lord, which speaks to us. Sometimes it's so convicting. Sometimes it's so encouraging. But always, always it brings us to the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.